Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your one-stop shop to turn your phone into a mobile GPS unit. And I talk a lot about the different features that are within the Onyx Hunt app. And one of them that I haven't talked about and honestly just started using recently is the precipitation radar. So that's a layer under the hunt settings in the, the map layers. When you turn that on, the precipitation radar allows you to view upcoming storms and and storm that's, you know, the intensity of that storm that's heading your way. Uh, the one thing to note is that's not available for offline use, but in areas where you have a cell signal, this can be a really, really great feature to be able to add to your arsenal within the Onyx Hunt app. If you want to check out the app, head over to onyxmaps.com. Use the coupon code EMW. That'll save your 20, yourself 20% off of the app. The University of Elk Hunting, the Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course available with 17 different modules that go through everything from beginning to end with elk hunting. And, you know, in addition to having a one-year access to this course, you get a bunch of deals from partners of Elk 101 as well as the Elk 101 online store, which depending on what you need for elk hunting, you can basically pay for your course just by the discounts that you receive in there. So, Highly recommend it. Head over to elk101.com, click on University of Elk Hunting, use the coupon code East Meets West. That'll save yourself 20% off. And Tethered has come out with a brand new product. So as you may know, Tethered is the basically changing the game in the saddle hunting community, coming out with innovative products that are lightweight and safe to hunt at an elevated position for less weight and present more shot opportunities so they've released the new predator xl platform so this is 40 percent larger than the original predator platform so basically what you're putting your feet on while you're in the saddle it has improved side and top traction upgraded leveling bolt cast aluminum construction for superior strength and minimal noise it's rock solid and still quiet with the zip cam strap and button system it has a lot of easy adjustment for leaning trees and your foot positions can be adjusted with platform leveling. Really cool. You're able to shoot 360 degrees around the tree and remain comfortable all day long. They're taking pre-orders now with the latest that they'll be shipping them on September 1st. So you'll have them in time for hunting season. Uh, definitely head over to tetherednation.com to check that out. So as far as news here, so this is part two of the podcast with Bill Vander Hayden of Iron Will Outfitters. And so I split this up into two episodes because we had so much information in here and really changed topics. So last week you heard all about, you know, how to tune your bow to shoot fixed blade broadheads, Iron Will's broadheads, fixed burst mechanical, all that. Definitely head back and check out that episode. And so in addition to that, this one dives into caribou hunting, which I've mentioned it before, but I'm leaving in uh, just over three weeks to head to Alaska, which is absolutely crazy and kind of gave me a little bit of anxiety when I just said that. So Bill is going on the same trip as I am, 
not with me, but uh, he's going with the same air taxi. We're doing the exact same hunt. So I'm, it was really cool to get to talk to him about it. Him and I first talked about it at the ATA show. And so we were going back and forth. Like, you know, I told him I was doing this hunt. So gave him the, you know, well, he, he contacted the air taxi and ended up booking the same hunt. So we just go through our process of preparing for it. We're talking about gear. We're talking about expectations, everything else, you know, what it goes into planning this type of hunt. So I think this one will be a really valuable episode. And it's, you know, this, so I, I mean, I've talked about the hunt a little bit, but I'm going to be making a film. And so Justin Mueller will be coming along with me. I hired him to film this like we did our elk hunt, but we're going to try to take this like completely next level and make this film just, uh, just hopefully unbelievable. That's what's in my head. And I know Justin's in his head. And by me saying this on the podcast, I know I'm going to give him some anxiety and make him even more nervous, but that's, uh, that's what my job is to do. <laughs> but, um, anyways, the, you know, the, the film really want to show people that, you know, I'm an average guy, don't have a ton of money, nothing like that. I, I want to show you that you can plan these type of hunts. You know, we did it with the elk hunt. Now, you know, stepping it up to hunting Alaska, which is just incredible. So that's what uh, I want to do. That's what I want to talk about. And this episode is kind of the prelude to that and leading into what to expect here. And just an update, I talk about my travel situation being all screwed up in this episode. Since then, I got a lot of it figured out. Um, it was screwy, but I'll end up being in the field for up to nine days rather than six or seven. So that kind of even makes it better yet. In addition to that, I am taking uh, a new rifle on this hunt. So I just got in the mail. Well, I'd go pick it up was a Bergera 300 Win Mag. So I wanted a 300 Win Mag because that caliber is just a really good North American, all, you know, big game caliber. I am not an expert in any means with rifle hunting. But luckily for me, my brother is a gun nut. He's a gunsmith. Um, You know, my family, I was the bow guy and he was the gun guy. So he talked me through it and Bergera is just, you know, one of the really top companies for being able to shoot long range. One of my buddies who is um, a Navy SEAL sniper was telling me about them, like saying that those guns are the best of the best and uh, just really good, you know, going to be able to withstand the elements, do all that stuff. So I'm getting that sighted in this week, putting a Maven RS2 scope on it. Just like I'm super fired up to to get this gun shooting and, you know, take it on this hunt. So going through all my gear items here and just working through it, you know, trying to trying to get as organized as I can to do this fly hunt, which is the first time I'm flying to a destination to hunt. Well, no, I, I lied. I did fly to Alberta once for a bow hunt, but this there's a lot more gear and logistics involved. So it'll uh, it's going to be interesting. But anyways. Let's uh let's jump into this episode here with Bill Vander Hayden. Enjoy. All right, Bill. So we talked about everything um, with uh, the broadheads and and how to you know tune your bow to shoot a fixed blade and the the new knife and everything that's coming out. 
But you and I are both going on the same hunt to Alaska. We're not going together, but we're going through the same people, basically the same caribou hunt. And uh, I, we, we've been texting back and forth a little bit about it, but I want to hear how your preparation's going and what you're thinking. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. I've never been to Alaska. I've been wanting to go caribou hunting in Alaska forever. So, um, And actually, the place I was going to go with, filled up and after talking to you and, and then Donnie Vincent as well, he recommended this place. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about it. So when are you, when are you leaving to go up there? Well, my flights are still up in the air, but as of rate, I'm supposed to go out August 21st, but it's looking like August 20th is when I'm going to fly up there. Um, what about you? Yeah, the 14th I'm flying up there and we're doing 10 days. So I'm coming out the 24th. So we're going to, overlap a little bit yeah you'll be coming in or you'll be going out while i'm still here and then i'll be going out while you're in the field and you'll come back while i'm still in the field yeah yeah maybe i'll see you out there (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah if if we're walking that far away from camp to each other we probably should turn around (laughs) if we run into each other (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) but yeah i've been uh i've been trying to get my gear together here i you know i've got my normal i do a lot of backpack um, elk hunting and, and mule deer and other hunts like that, bears. And, uh, so I've got my normal, you know, gear that I take on a, on a backpack hunt and I'm just trying to figure out a few, few different things that will be different here and what I do about those. Yeah. What, so yeah, when you're, when you're going into the, the planning with gear, what are some of those items that you've found that you're going to be taking kind of differently? Cause I mean, we're not going to be backpack hunting, so weight isn't as big of an issue, um, you know, for this hunt, we're allowed what 120 pounds. Cause you're taking all your own gear too. uh, well, 120 pounds in yourself, um, on the, the trip. So what's that kind of looking like? Yeah. So, um, you're right. I'm going to go a little heavier than I normally would. And so for the shelter, you know, I'm typically doing a two man tent. Um, I'm typically I'm going by myself or with another guy or two. And we've got got two man tents or sometimes if it's later we'll do a, a TP like a Kafaro eight man uh, TP and I think that's what I'm gonna take up there is our um, it's my Kafaro eight man TP um, talk to some people about that just the ground um, is it can be hard to get stakes to stay in there if you get high winds things like that so I've just got some longer um like i think they call them hurricane stakes or something like that that they are twisted so you can get a little deeper stakes in there but i think i'm going to go with the eight man tp there's gonna be three of us so the eight man tp and a little little titanium stove in there i think it'll be nice to have the bigger shelter a little bit more space in case we get stuck in there with weather for you know a day or two yeah. You know, that, that'll be super nice to be able to, to have that space. I'm, I'm taking a, a Hilleberg three person tent. Um, I learned, I'm not sure exactly what the model is off the top of my head, but, um, it, oh, it's the, the Katum GT three. So I got the big vestibule. It's almost the size of the tent coming off that you can store gear in. And also you can open it up as like almost like a glassing tarp sort of you know you can sit underneath it you can fit three people under there you know in case bad weather same thing same idea of wanting to have space in case we got socked in and two like i went i ended up going with the hilleberg i just was like all right never been there before there's not an option to go back to your truck this is my home i like to feel 
good and safe in my home. And that's, you know, kind of when we decided to, you know, split on this tent. Yeah, I was definitely thinking about the Hilberg as well. Um, we were each thinking about taking like a two man, two man type Hilleberg tent. Um, and it's really, I mean, I know those are pretty bomb proof and, and it's, it's, it's a good idea as well. I think it's just, I know from sitting in a one or two man tent in the rain for a day, it's, it's, it's nice to have the extra space. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, with one shelter, if something does happen, we're, we're kind of out of luck um, as well. I think I'm going to bring probably like a, Kafaru super tarp or something as well. That could be a, you know, a kind of a backup shelter as well as um, something to, if we're going to go sit in glass and it's going to be a light rain that day, something where we can maybe set up a tarp and, and glass under it. Um, I didn't think about glassing right from the, the tent. Um, I guess that could work if you're positioned, if you're, if you're sleeping in a spot where you can also see pretty well. Yeah, and and I am I'm bringing um, one of Sika's tarps as well, um, a big ten by twelve tarp to set up. You know, if we're hopefully can get away from the tent and um, you know get to a glassing knob. Or I don't really know exactly what the terrain is going to look like from talking to our air taxi. It could be anywhere from flat tundra to somewhat in the foothills of the mountains. So it's all depends on what the caribou are doing at that point. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, I was trying to find out if we could get a rough area where I'm at so I could, you know, download some money, <laughs> something like that. And it sounds like I won't know until we get there that morning. Yeah, I did uh, I did the same thing. I called him. I was like, hey, uh, I know you don't know exactly, but can I download? And he said to call a day ahead. And by then they should have an idea to be able to download it because I was worried that I wouldn't have good enough service, you know, at the you know, where we're landing at before we take off in the bush plane that, you know, to download the maps, which I am taking a, a Garmin GPS with an Onyx chip in it, um, as well as a backup. So. Yeah. I've just been using my phone the last couple of years with, with Onyx and I really like that. Yeah. So, you know, having a big, the big screen on the phone there for the maps and everything. But, um, I haven't figured out if I can get paper maps of the different areas up there yet i'm gonna try and do that as well if it's possible yeah and one thing he did give me a, like a, a general like 100 mile area so what i'm gonna do is you know how onyx you can do the different um detail of the maps and there's the one that's like low detail but you can download like i think it's almost 100 miles of an area and i'm gonna do that just for certain and then you know hopefully be able to get a more detailed map too but that's kind of what i was looking at yeah i'm trying to uh so i've got a couple of chargers i haven't really had to, needed a charger that would work more than a couple of days you know to recharge a phone or something before so i've got a little solar one um i'm going to test them out here a bit and see how many charges i can get out of them and figure out what i need there but yeah i like using my my phone for my um for my topo maps things like that yeah i i was looking at um different chargers too. Cause I, I mean, I was looking to get in a solar one because I have like three different battery packs and I was going to take all those. And I was like, I probably should just get one solar charger and be okay. Which the camera guy, Justin, that's going with me, he has a solar one that he's going to take cause he has all his camera gear. He's got to charge up every night. Um, yeah. so that's becomes a little bit more, um, important to have that. But, uh, yeah, at least, at least with, 
you know, there, there's no chance of having cell reception. So having on airplane mode should allow your phone to last a decent amount longer. (laughs) What's your, um, what's your plan for your sleep system up there? Um, as far as like a pad and bag and everything. Yeah. You, I've heard that, um, cots are advised up there, which is, is new to me, um, for backpack hunting, but it sounds like uh, the terrain, the ground is often full of bogs and not very flat. So I just picked up a, a Helinox cot to give that a try. I, I was looking at those and I didn't pull the trigger. I ended up actually buying a, um, a climate, uh, insulated pad. Cause the one I had was a summer pad and I was just getting one a little bit more padding and comfort. And I didn't think, I wondered why they, I thought they were just given, you know, they advise costs because it, you could have the extra weight. I didn't think about it from the uneven ground standpoint. Yeah. When I heard the cot thing, I'm like, come on, you don't need a cot. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like my brother one time wanted to go on a backpack hunt with me and he wanted me to pack in a cot for him the week before. <laughs> you can rough it. In talking to, it was, it was Kyle actually Hanson that I was talking to about it. And he said, the reason for it is the uneven ground that um, just there's so many, you might be dropped off in a place where it's just all, like that that tundra that's like you know a bunch of footballs with hair on them or something that you're oh geez so anyway that's why uh i picked up the cot we'll see um it's it's pretty slick i mean it it weighs like three pounds so it's not something i normally add the weight to but i think we're going to get dropped off and you know hike a short distance to figure out where we put camp up and then pretty much leave base camp there so won't be too bad i actually picked up one of their little lightweight chairs too which is just a one pound yeah that might be nice to you know have backrest um for sitting around camp or for if i don't do a lot of glassing typically because i i mostly elk hunt out west um you know up in the mountains and i mean i can i see most of my elk with my i got pretty decent vision so i can see an elk at you know a half mile away and pull up my 10 by 40s and yep he's got a you know good you know, good length rack on him and I'm after him, you know, I'm not, I'm not glassing for a giant or, or anything all day. Um, mule deer hunting, I'll do a little bit more, uh, maybe borrow a spotter or something, but I don't typically, um, just sit in glass all day. And it sounds like up there, there's a lot of that get up on a knob and, and glass thing. So, um, what, what's your plans for optics? Um, so yeah, and first, uh, I did, I do have one of those Helinox chairs. I've had one for a couple of years and they are awesome. They're really nice. I had it as a camp chair in Idaho last year when we were truck camping. And it's actually really nice to be able to sit with a tripod and a spotter in that chair. It's a lot nicer than sitting on a pad on the ground. And like that same thing, I'm bringing it because it sounds like we're going to do a lot of glassing. And, you know, and so I'm taking my, my Maven uh, B2 nine by 45 binos and then I also have a, a Maven spotter that I'm going to be taking as well. Um, so I'll have both of those um, with me and then, which is kind of a smaller spotter. And then my, my buddy is taking, he has a Maven, one of their big 85 millimeter ones. So a big one that we should be able to see a few miles away, which I was like, you know, that's could be a blessing and a curse because the farther we can see them, then we're going to want to go chase them. And uh, I'm hearing that the tundra isn't super easy to, to walk in, but are, are you taking a, a spotter then? Yeah, I think so. Um, I've got some Maven 15 power, um, 
15 by 56 or 15 by 60, something like yeah. that. They're, yep. I got a set of those last year um, that I used for, for my mountain goat hunt last year. I used those on a tripod along with uh, a big Maven spotter. Um, and I'll probably do the same thing on this, on this trip. I'll probably, and typically when I'm hunting, I'm just carrying 10 by forties because they're, they're nice and light. Those 15 power Mavens, I got the new B3, I think they're called, which are a bit lighter than, than their older model. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they're still fairly big and heavy compared to, you know, a, a little 10 by 40, um, that I'm used to, but I think those would be nice on, on a tripod. Um, they're not, I mean, they're great for just using around here in the foothills around me. I can spot a uh, mule deer, you know, from my back deck and they're, they, they're pretty good optics. I, I, um, I like them a lot. I could see better than my 10 forties for sure. Yeah. But then, so I think I'll use those quite a bit and then throw on the spotter when I need to reach out and see something better. Yeah. yeah. That, um, yeah, that's, I think definitely glassing is going to be a big part of it and being comfortable with it. I got to, um, I actually got to get an adapter now that I'm thinking about it for my phone scope. I've learned to be able to use that. If you can charge your phone, a lot of times, if you're tired of like having your head down on the spotter, running that phone scope on there is so nice. You can kind of sit back and look if, especially if you found something like I say, a herd or something, you're watching them. I was doing that with elk last year and it was so nice to be able to sit there and, and watch that through, through it. But, um, Okay, I just add that to my list. I gotta, I gotta check that out. <laughs> yeah, I it, it was really cool to be able to do it, and then you can actually zoom in on your phone and get even further than the magnification allows on your spotter, or you can you can even get them for those set of fifteen you know binos you have or whatever they work on either either way. So that's that's definitely something I'd recommend for that. I'm not I'm not an expert in glassing, but in my short period of time of doing it, that helped out. Yeah, I was taking uh, I was taking photos of different mountain goats last year through my spotter without a without a phone scope, just trying to hold it up. To <laughs> pretty hit or miss there on, on that way. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of my plan um, as far as that goes. So, what do you what do you know as far as um, I, I'll go back to gear here in a second, but caribou in general, like. What what are you expecting like them to do? Uh, do you know anything about like how they bet? Or are you just kind of going out expecting to see them? What's kind of your game plan with that? Yeah, so I have I've never seen a caribou in real life, you know. So I have zero firsthand experience. Um, I spent about probably almost an hour talking to Donnie Vincent at the um, Western Hunt Expo about it because he went last year and he, he's about to have a film that comes out about his caribou hunt. Um, up there and so i was trying to get advice from him and you know he hunted them a little bit later so they were they're in the migration and so what he said is um the caribou you see are are not going to be the ones you're going to get um but you're going to watch them go through you know be traveling through some area and you'll go to that area to get the next ones that come uh, through. okay they have kind of these you know worn you know, they're, they're following the caribou in front of them. You know, they probably smell them, smell the tracks, whatever, you know, they're going to kind of often follow that same trail that you just saw some caribou on. So that's what he said. A lot of it is 
you'll see caribou moving through. You'll get over there and set up on where they went through and hopefully get the next ones. And, you know, hopefully the, there's a steady, you know, migration. So that that happens and you don't just go over there and, you know, wait half a day and they see them somewhere else. But, um, so that's, that's what he said. You'll spot them. You'll get hot. You'll get to high vantage point. You'll spot some, you'll move to where they're at. And I think with going early, you know, mid August that it'll be, I'm thinking we're going to be more just on the south edge of the Brooks Range, right on the edge of the mountains. And there'll be, what I've heard is there could be some caribou that are, they aren't really migrating yet. They're just kind of um, going in and out of the edge of the mountains. You know, there's, they might be just trying to get away from the bugs and, you know, feeding and not really migrating yet, just kind of in their maybe summer pattern a bit more. And that could be good to where we could spot some and actually stalk those caribou. Um, if they're not, if they're just kind of hanging around and not, uh, not moving out. Um, so that, I guess that's kind of my, my strategy is to spot some and then go, yeah. go, go after them. And if they're gone, you know, hopefully get the next ones. If they're, you know, otherwise trying to find them if they're kind of hanging around and, and maybe be able to pattern them if they're going in and out of the, the hills or the mountains morning or evening. Yeah, it's it's funny because like I feel like for any other animal I hunt, I try to know so much about them before I go in and hunt them. But I've talked to over half a dozen hunters who've done the same exact hunt and all of them are like, let your eyes do it and figure it out, you know, kind of from there. I've heard, you know, about the ones that pass through the migration and but the time of year we're going you know, a lot of them probably aren't. And again, I'm no expert in this. It's just coming from other people's experiences. There could be a lot of resident caribou in the area. And I'd, I'd even watched some videos on YouTube of people that have flown up with the, out of the same place we are. And, and, you know, you'll see embedded out in this tundra and stuff, and you'll just see their giant antlers sticking out and people stocking up on them. So I'm kind of, my plan was just to kind of see what what I see when I get there and adjust accordingly, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I'm not, I'm not too stressed out, you know, and so, sometimes in hunts in the past, I've been like a few days, I got to get this done and it might be my last chance to hunt this animal or whatever. And, and, um, man, the last few years I've just been more just enjoying my hunts and, uh, you know, if I'll stay as long as it takes to get one, uh, probably, and if I don't get one, you know, this year, it's not like last time I'm going to go, I'm going to go back and try it again. So I don't feel a lot of like stress, like I got to figure this out and get it done. I think I'm just going to, you know, enjoy the hunt, enjoy being up there. Um, but I've also feel a little bit like, okay, it's crunch time, four weeks left. I need to focus here a bit on this hunt and just figure out, you know, what are some of the other tactics? You know, I've heard that if you spot them way out there and, uh, in an open area, you might be able to stalk in with your bow up on your head, you know, some distance, um, you know, <laughs> things like that. I want to try and figure out as many, you know, strategies as I can here in the next few weeks before I head up there. Yeah, that's, yeah. And it's, it's weird. I was talking to my buddy that I'm going with, it's just two of us hunting and then, uh, Justin filming, but we're like, we feel like we're super unprepared, but we're not because you know, you know, I booked through Outdoors International, so Kyle helped me a lot with like figuring out what I needed and kind of gave me some gear list, and then I did my own. But like, and I don't know, I just feel like when you're doing like say an elk hunt, there's a lot more planning that goes into it than 
than this, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird kind of feeling, but I'm the same way. I'm, I'm looking forward to the whole experience of it and kind of figuring it out as, as we go. And I'm, I'm assuming, but are you taking, uh, just a bow? Or are you taking a rifle too? I'm, I'm just taking a bow. Um, I might have a pistol on for bears or something, but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sink or swim with the bow on this one. Yeah. Okay. I have, I mean, I used to rifle hunt, but it's been probably 10 years since I've, I've used rifle on, on big game. I just, uh, you know, just committing to a bow and, um, has, has been another factor, I think, improving my success over the years that just kind of, uh, I, you know, I enjoy it, the challenge of it so much more. I'd rather, um, come home without one than, than shoot one with the rifle when I could have, you know, tried it with the bow. So, yeah. 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 And, and, uh, I guess also, uh, you know, putting that aside, you know, owning a broadhead company probably, uh, helps out a little bit for testing wise if you're using it. Right. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to justify rifle hunting now that, um, yeah, <laughs> so much time uh, working on archery, my equipment, perfecting it, testing the heads and getting the results. So, and, and I love doing it. So yeah, rifles, uh, rifles don't make it out of that cabinet back there anymore. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I hadn't, you know, I'd last, last couple of years, I took the rifle out a little bit in Pennsylvania and stuff, but the majority of my hunts have been with a bow and I've only, I only killed one deer with a rifle in the last eight years or so. Um, but I am going to take a rifle on this hunt, um, up there to Alaska with me. So that'll, that'll be an interesting kind of change to, to take that along as well. So well, yeah, I was kind of trying to talk my buddies into bringing a rifle. I'm like, don't you have a rifle in case you don't get one? Or, <laughs> but it was actually more just for uh, uh, for bears. You know? Yeah. But you just feel better if somebody's got a rifle, I think, um, up there. And that's something I haven't figured out yet. You know, if there's no trees, you know, in the mountains, I'm usually hanging, hanging food up. Um, if I've got 10 days worth of food, I've got it um, hung up to where nothing's going to get to it. And if there's no trees, um, yeah, what's, and I asked Donnie about this. He said, oh yeah, we just kept our food right by, right by camp there. I'm thinking, man, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, grizzly country. I think, uh, anyway, I, I need to talk to Brian a bit more about what's the strategy there on, I think what, I, what I've heard a little bit is, um, keep it close enough to your camp because bears, it'll kind of deter some bears from coming to get it, but not right in your tent or anything in case they really decide they are going to get it. Yeah. What, what's your plan there? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I don't have a plan yet for that other than, you know, they, they said in the gear list for, you know, totes to put your food in. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to fly with totes for putting my food in. So I was going to use dry bags as I normally would. And like you said, I normally would hoist it into a tree or something. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have a good plan right now for that, which is something that, as you brought that up, it re-entered my mind as something I kind of need to to figure out. Because I'd looked at things of like getting those lightweight bear fence to put around and stuff, and I was like, no, you don't need that. Everyone I've talked to has seen grizzlies, but nobody's had any issues with them coming into camp. So I'm kind of banking on that. I don't know if that's a real good strategy, but uh, – I, I I don't know exactly what I'm going to do yet. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just worried, even worried about. Um, I mean, I assume there's coyotes up there and and wolves and other things that could get into it. 
get into the food as well. Um, you know, I've, I've camped places where you have to have bear canisters when you backpack in, but they're, they're heavy and you can't, you know, it's hard to fit a lot of stuff in those things. They're pretty bulky. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I don't, I don't know what my plan there is yet, but I'm, it might be a little different than Donnie's, which was, ah, we just rendered the fat right in the tent and kept our food. Oh man. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> they're cooking, they're cooking caribou meat in the tent, I think. So he, he was not concerned. Uh, he's like, don't worry about bears. Just, you know, worry about weather up there, not bears. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> well, I don't know if I feel that laxed about it, but, um, he spends a lot of time there. That's for sure. <laughs> He does. He does. Yeah. And he, he saw bears, but I think like you said, they, um, they're hunted more there and they're maybe less likely to come into a camp. Yeah. Um, are are you taking, um, so you sound like you're going to take a pistol or are you going to take their spray as well or, or just one or the other? Yeah, I'll probably have both. Um, I've got one of those 44 air lights that's, you know, weighs a couple of pounds. It's a 44 mag. Um, it's no fun to shoot because it's so light. It's, yeah. it's a, uh, you know, emergency use only kind of thing. Cause it, it, the wrist hurts after shooting one of those things with that, with the heavy load in it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'll probably just in case have one of those long, um, and I assume we can bring bear spray up there or have that in our bags flying up there. So, so yeah, now those- you actually have to get that while you're there. So I talked, I talked to, I talked to Brian up there and he said that, um, what, what you, they have some right at the office. So when you get there, you just ask them for it and it sounds like they don't charge you for it or anything. They just loan it to you and you bring it back. They're like, Oh yeah, people just bring them back full. I'm like, how do I know someone didn't shoot this off? And I got a half full can of bear spray, you know, <laughs> but cause for years probably. So and I, I went back and forth on it and you know, one of the things was uh you know with with my I have a 44 mag but it's a a big Ruger Super Blackhawk big honking thing and I was like I have no good way of holstering this to even be able to cuz you know, I looked at like you know chest rigs and all this other stuff and it just seemed like it was going to be super cumbersome so I got a, a bear spray canister that attaches the side of my bino harness like a a holder there so I'm just going to put a can of bear spray in there and if I have a rifle I feel better um, with those two things there. So that's, and unless they comes to you in the tent, I feel like you should be able to see them for a ways unless you're crossing a Creek and you're in some thick alders or something. But I, again, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure how that, that looks, but everyone I talked to said not to worry about it as much wolves. I did get a wolf tag. My actually both my caribou and wolf tag just came in today as right before I got on the podcast, I pulled into my driveway and opened my mailbox and I was getting worried because someone told me that they were taking like six weeks to come in. And so I ordered it last week, kind of freaking out and uh, came in in a week. So I got my tags and everything. So, um, is it Monica that I talked to up there? She said we could just buy them when we show up. up yeah. There. Yeah. You can. Um, there. I, I don't know. I just had like a, a thing in my head where I was worried about not saying they would ever do this, but with everything with COVID going on that, for some reason they'd be like, Oh no, non-residents can buy tags now. And oh, that okay. was my reasoning for, for buying it. But, um, Kyle said, he goes, I don't think that's going to be an issue whatsoever. Um, especially with hunting season kind of already kicking off here, but 
and Alaska doesn't have a huge threat right now from the the virus. So I think there's only 900 total cases in the state. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my thought process. Same thing with like, say your jet boil or your whatever you're using for cooking food, um, that you can get the canisters from them too. They'll have the isobutane, um, canisters. I asked about that cause you can't fly with any of those. Yep. I did ask him about that and he confirmed, yep, we can get that right there in his hanger. So that's good. Um, yeah, and, and the bear thing, I mean, I don't like, in, in Colorado, it was just black bears, but I've had them, um, I've had them clawing on my tent at night and, and um, getting my food. Um, you know, they're acrobats now, you know, they can climb one tree and jump out and uh, grab the food and drop 20 feet and not care. But, um, but at least black bears, I'm not really too worried about them, you know, eating or anything, but um I, I used to carry a pistol for a while after I had some bear incidents and then I didn't want to carry the weight, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I probably won't lug it around up there depending on how many miles we're putting on things like that. But it'd be nice to have one, one gun in the tent anyways. Yeah. Um, if you guys have a rifle along, that'd be, that'd be nice to have or, or a pistol. Yeah. My cousin sent me a, a photo on Instagram of a person in a tent in a shadow of a big bear on the outside of the tent just to get me all worked up. And I was like, damn it. Don't be sending me that. <laughs> I've, I've had that happen with black bears before come right up to the tent, but I just hope there's not a, you know, an 850 pound grizzly standing outside. That would definitely make me feel a little uneasy, which, so the other thing is up there, it should be light most of the day right at that time of year right yeah i think you're right i'm not sure i'm not sure how much darkness there is but it's pretty short time i think i've I've only been in alaska once and it was during the summer solstice where there was like no darkness it was like just would get down to like a gray light and then go back up which that was incredibly weird but uh so yeah that'll be that'll be odd i feel like there'll be a lot of you have to kind of make yourself rest at times, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I think we'll, yeah, have to just make yourself get enough, get enough sleep, I guess. If it's an hour of darkness, you're going to want to hunt. <laughs> you're not going to be able to hunt dawn till dusk, I guess, up there. So what are uh, you, what are you doing as far as, um, so with the logistics of flying up there and everything, what does it look like as far as your packing gear? Are you putting them in like, big waterproof bags. What do you, what's that kind of look like for you? Yeah, my plan right now, and I've still been kind of thinking through this, but I think I'm going to have my, like a Kafaro reckoning pack is the one I think I'm going to take up there and I'm going to have that kind of partially full, but that, that will be my carry on. If I can get that on, I got to check the size of it to make sure that's going to work out. But Hey, that, that will work. It is too big, um, as far as the regulations, but I took my reckoning. Well, mine was on a 24 inch frames and the regulations say 22 inch is the max. Um, and I just, what I did was I cinched it down and I took the belt strap and wrapped it around the back of the pack. So it made it look smaller. (laughs) So that's a, that's a tip for you that, to get in. That's a nice thing about those Kafaru packs is you can wrap that waist belt around backwards there and tie it that way. So it makes it look smaller. So airport security doesn't like, cause I've never been to an airport where they actually like drop it in that little thing to check if it's, 
you know, or measure it for size, but, um, just, uh, just a thought. Yeah, that's so that's my plan. Make that pack look look small enough to carry on, and then have one. I'm probably gonna use. Um, I've got like a those Yeti duffel bags, those waterproof duffels. Yep. If, if I can get all my other gear to fit in that, um, ideally, I just take those two things and then my bow case, um, and have some you know have some clothes or whatever stuff in my bow case too. So, I guess it's two check two checked items and a carry on. Yep. Like that. That's so that's I have one of the the big Yeti bags and that's what I, the waterproof ones are the biggest size they make so I was planning on I would actually have it laid out in my living room right now to try to throw gear in just to see if I can keep it under the 50 pound limit as far as not having oversized and if it is oversized I think Alaskan Airlines it's like I think it only jumps up to like 75 bucks um from I can't remember what it is normally but uh, it might even be free. I can't remember what the costs are. I have it all written down. But anyways, it wouldn't be the end of the world if it was overweight. And then I, I was going back and forth and taking using my hunting backpack, which I was using that the Sika Mountain Hauler uh, 4000. Wasn't sure if I wanted to use that as a carry-on just from the standpoint of if it gets covered in blood. Do I want to come back to the airport with a smell, which is, I hopefully it does, um, smelling like, you know, uh, a dead animal on the plane and stuff. But I also don't want to just stuff a, a bag inside a bag and take up space when I could be using that for other stuff. So, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I've got, I've got three different Kafaru packs from, some are very old up to their newest cutthroat too. So I've been debating a little bit of how, how um, big of a pack do I need when I'm really up there hunting and what am I going to want to carry around? But I think I'm going to go with the, the reckoning that just hauls weight so well that um, if we get a caribou a few miles out, that's, that's the pack to have on. Yeah. That, that pack is great. And it does, it does pack down really well to use it as like a day pack. Even if you're not carrying around a lot of stuff, it's not like it's, really bulky what i used to do with it was i'd take the lid off it and just kind of fold it over and put a little medium pouch on the top there and um yeah just just that but yeah i'm trying just trying to figure out too like with say on the carry-on you know i need to put all my optics and some of the camera gear and stuff i figured i'll throw that in my carry-on um and just yeah it's been kind of it's been driving me nuts a little bit because I like to know exactly how my stuff's going to be ahead of time. And so I've got to lay it out to try to make a mock, um, you know, like I'm going to go fly and see how that all looks. Right. Now I've got, so I got 10 days worth of food, um, to pack. So that's, you know, at least a couple pounds a day, um, 20 pounds, but it's kind of bulky too. You know, those, um, freeze dried meals, um, yeah, I tried. I trade broadheads for about anything, including food now. So, <laughs> traded with off-grid, traded with off-grid guys. So I've got a bunch of off-grid meals coming. Those are good, like the buffalo, um, <laughs> buffalo bison fajitas and uh, <laughs> cheese. But anyway, it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of food. So I got to see how much room that takes up and where I can put all that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. So with um. Yeah, that the food thing's something I, I've been thinking about too with packing because that's and then also I wasn't sure if I should take an extra couple days of food in case we get stuck in there. You know, um, you know, I was thinking if we're gonna have 
seven days in the field, maybe taking eight or nine. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's overthinking it or not. Or ho- again, hopefully we have a couple caribou down and that adds for some food. That's I could right. or I could really like just put my hunter instinct in me and be like, I need to kill something to be able to eat and uh, <laughs> go that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I often I'll throw in like just an extra um, like mountain house meal. They weigh like four ounces, you know, mm-hmm. and then I figure worst case I can live another day off that if I need to, um, you know, Eric and I, when we, got his bull last year. We got it the night of our third day of the hunt. We only, he had to go to work the next day. So our plan was, let's just bring in three days worth of food and then we'll pack out. He's going to go back to work. I'm going to load it back up, go back in. And we got his bull that night and we were out of food. And, um, and so he, he left it overnight. And then we, so we, we were, we weren't even planning to have a supper that night because we thought we were hiking out. So we had no food that night, no food the next day. And we had to hike back from camp over to where his bull was and then pack it all down to the creek and then hike out with, you know, just water that day. So that that was a lesson of, yeah, bring a little extra food just in case something happens and you go one more day. Um, you know, we we survived it, but and I went to town and ate a giant burrito after that. But, uh, but yeah, it's good to have a little extra just in case. Yeah. And, um, and then hopefully you got some meat coming out and everything and they have boxes right there at the hangar from the sounds of it that you can purchase. You're just supposed to bring your own duct tape to, to be able to box them up. You writing that down? <laughs> yep. Duct tape. I saw that. I saw that on their list was duct tape. And then, um, you know, box those up and then from the sounds of it, you know, we can fly with the head and everything back as a, a checked bag, essentially. That's what I heard. There's a, an antler box. Um, and that's why it's important to fly Alaska airlines the whole way there and back, I guess, because you can have one of these like hundred inch square antler boxes and, you know, put, there'll be three of us hunting. So if we get three, three racks in there. Um, they can all come back together that way. So yeah, that's for the antlers and, uh, and the skulls. And then, yeah, those fish boxes we can freeze. Um, yeah, we're staying at a, that last night we come out, we're staying at that one hotel in town that has the walk-in freezer. Yep. That's what I'm doing too. (laughs) So we can, um, you know, get off the plane, take our debone the meat at that point. It sounds like we got to leave it ribs and everything. Um, and all the bones until you get out of the field, but then you can debone uh, it and put it in the coolers and then go freeze it that night for taking home. Oh, okay. I didn't, I, I wondered how that was going to work as far as the deboning process. Cause I know you couldn't do that in the field, but when you come back out, you can debone it and then put it in the fish boxes and okay. I was wondering how that was all going to kind of work there. Yeah. So that's the way that's, as I understand it, I'm going to get a little more clarification on it well, what bones do I need to bring out? Um, I assume it's just like the shoulder blade um, to that elbow and then the hind quarter, like the femur bones. Um, but I heard the ribs have to come, but I think you can cut them off the spine. I don't know. I'm going to try and get those details because normally I don't bring any bones out. You know, when I pack out an elk or anything else, um, all the bones stay in the field and I debone everything. Yeah. So, Cause bones are heavy. <laughs> yeah, they are. 
which actually reminds me that I need to get some more game bags. I just thought of that. I'd lost mine in the last last pack out that I had there, so I gotta. <laughs> I need to get those. They were ruined at that point, so I need to get some more game bags here in the next five weeks. So probably tonight I'll order them. <laughs> yeah, and I heard if you if you eat something in the field, you know, take some photos. If like. If you don't want to bring the ribs out, you can create, you know, you can make a big fire and cook the ribs over over the fire and then eat them and not have to, you know, pack them out. But um, you should take a photo of it <laughs> in case they ask you when you get out. Look yeah. At the ribs. Yeah, yeah. Good. Good point. That was a good, good tip from Donnie on that one. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> cool. I'm I'm. Like I said, I'm really looking forward to this. And and do you have any expectations as far as like, are you trying to go for a certain size bowl or anything? Or are you just, or what are you looking at there? Yeah, I thought I'd spend a little time trying to figure out what what does a big caribou look like and what does a little one look like, and uh, you know, try and get you know an adult sized caribou at least. Um, but no, I'm not. I don't have. I don't have high expectations of, of shooting a giant or anything. I'd like to get, you know, mature, mature caribou. Um, and I'm just going to try and figure out what that, what that looks like exactly. But no, I don't, I don't feel like I'm one and done. I feel like this, this is going to be an ex- a great experience. Hopefully I get a caribou. I'm going to be happy with any caribou. I think, um, you know, bigger, the better, but I'm just gonna be happy to get one. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go back in the future if I want to get something you know bigger than what I get this year. Yeah. That's, yeah, my outlook on it is I want something that looks like a caribou bull, like something that's a respectable looking like, okay, this is a caribou. You know, that's what I always said with mule deer too. Like I want some, like my first mule deer, I wanted to at least have forks and look like a, a mule deer. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, something beyond a, a spike or a fork or, or something like that. Right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so one other thing I've heard can be a problem up there is the bugs, like the mosquitoes, um, I've heard they can, it can be a serious problem. It just depends on, you know, when you're there and what's hatching. But, um, you know, like a, I'm planning to bring like a bug net and a thermocell along. Yep. Um, and I, I used one of those for the first time a couple of years ago on a bear hunt in Saskatchewan. And now I'm, I'm sold on those things. It was, I'd climb up in my stand and mosquitoes were just hammering me and I'd turn that on and, and then they're gone. And then when I shut it off to get down, I'd get hammered by mosquitoes again. So I might see if there's a, I think it might be like a backpacker version of that or something you can carry with you if you need to. I, I actually have one or no, I, I don't. I, I bought one for my brother. It was a backpacking one that goes on to like a isobutane canister that you can do. But I think I'm just going to take my handheld thermocell like your typical thermocell and then i am bringing a bug net as well because i've heard one or the other i've heard people say they never dealt with any bugs that time of year and i've heard others say that they were kind of bad so and i've watched it was actually one of donnie's films where he's bear hunting in alaska where it was like absolutely ridiculous with bugs all over and i'm like eh, that would just make for a miserable experience if i didn't have anything to protect me from that <coughs> and uh yeah, that's one nice thing about the tent you're going to have, too, is, and I talked to Aaron Snyder a little bit about what kind of shelter would you recommend up there, and and he said, well, the bugs can be terrible, so having a, you know, having a, the screen and things for the tent can be, can be pretty important, depending on, yeah, depending on what the 
hat, when the hatch is and the weather and it could be it could be bad and, and i've heard that they can be so bad they can choke out a caribou I don't know that's a that's an old wives tale or what but that sounds pretty serious that sounds serious <laughs> yeah if it's gonna choke out a caribou it's gonna choke me out seven times <laughs> um that there's uh, you just had said something else that um uh, made me think there um I lost my train of thought, but yeah, the bugs are something that I definitely don't want to, to risk. Oh, I was, I was going to bring up weather. Um, what, what have you heard as far as expectations on weather? Yeah, I think it can be, it can be anything. Um, I think in, in August, it's less likely to have a big, you know, snowstorm. And that's the one month that, um, it's typically not going below freezing. Um, from what, I mean, just kind of looking at the weather, typical weather patterns and things up there. But I think, I know we had a choice on our hunt. It was like mid August or mid September. And it sounded like September, mid September, there's a good chance you can get like a serious snowstorm out of it. And I mean, I think we could in August as well. It's just, it's less likely. Um, I'm going to bring a zero degree bag instead of my, um, normal 20 degree bag just to, you know, just in case we get some some pretty bad cold. Um, and I've got a heavier, um, pad. It's, um, what is it? A Q core SL kind of the longer, longer, wider, you know, in, the, in recent years, I've decided to put, add a little more weight into my, into sleeping better, you know? And so that pad, it's, I think it's like three and a half or four inches thick insulated, and it's it's wide enough and long enough that I'm I'm on top of it for sure, you know. So that, um, so that's that along with our stove is kind of my plan for severe weather, whether it's it's wet or cold or or windy or, or whatever. Um, and it could be very warm, and it, and but it could be it could be wet, could be snowy. What what have you heard? Yeah. Well- I asked uh, Megan up there and she's like, Oh, it's like, you know, sixties during the day, forties at night. <laughs> like, I feel like there's some more variance than that. I don't, obviously, you know, better than I do, but, uh, that's, that's what she told me. Um, so I'm planning on, I'm actually still, I, I have a bag that'll work, but I'm looking to get a synthetic bag that that'll be better in case it gets wet. And I was planning on the 15 degree bag and then I'll just wear my puffy stuff. I'm taking puffy jacket and pants so that I could wear that inside the sleeping bag if it got, you know, real cold, um, to kind of double up there. Um, but that's kind of, you know, what I was looking at and heard it's going to be wet. And, um, so I'll have rain gear. Oh, and the one thing we didn't mention was, uh, as far as you bringing waders, are you bringing like hip boots or anything like that? Yeah, I think I, I just picked up some, uh, I think they're called Wiggies waders. They yeah. Just, uh, they're super light. I'm impressed. I mean, they're this just a little light package um, weighs less than a pound. I think um, you just pull over your boots. It's just really for stream crossing, but I think that's the situation up there, and that we're just gonna have to cross rivers or streams, and not really, you know, have to go through like a, a lot of swamp or bog or anything like that. Yep, that's what my buddy. Um, well. I- Kyle had recommended those wiggies and, and my buddy I'm going with Michael, he bought them and he's like, man, these are ex- kind of expensive for what they are. And we, I found another company called Hodgman's, I believe they weigh like a little bit more, but they were $21, but same thing. It's an over boot, 
you know, that just goes slips over like a hip waiter basically. So I bought those and, uh, that's, and I figured for Justin, uh, the cameraman, like, I'm just going to throw them back across the stream to him instead of him having a, a set too. And then I'll just wear gaiters, a Gore-Tex gaiters, you know, the whole time as I'm hiking around with my regular leather boots. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the wiggies, they seem like they could, you know, get torn up maybe, but I will see. But I think we're going to have the three of us will each have a pair. They each weigh like a pound. So hopefully by the end of the trip, we'll at least have one that's still good enough. We can throw it back and forth to each other or, yeah. or whatever as needed. Yeah, that's it. Because we were only going to get one for all of us. And we're like, eh, in case he's rip or something, we should have at least two. So that's what we that we decided to do too. And, but hopefully there's not a whole lot of that stream crossing or anything, or just, you know, if we have to walk a hundred yards down to find a lower place to cross that isn't, you know, armpit deep, then that's fine. Yeah. One thing, um, you know, Donnie had a lot of good recommendations, but you know, he said, you know, the weather's the thing to worry about, not, not bears or whatever. Um, so yeah, make sure you've got your rain gear, your puppy jacket, um, all those things that if if you're out there and bad weather comes in that, that you're gonna be okay there. And the other thing you recommended was, you know, typically if the two of my friends, Carter J D that are going with me, we've hunted together before in the in the high mountains for elk, but really we kinda of camp together and then often the whole day we're hiking different directions and and hunting different basins even. Um and then we'll meet back up in the evening and sometimes not, sometimes we'll spike out and you know, it'll be two days before we see each other. But up there, he, he recommended, you know, don't do that. Just all stick together, hunt together. Um, there's just more things that can go wrong and you're, you know, you're hundred miles from the, the nearest person or nearest, well, nearest, uh, you know, hospital or anything like that or more. And, uh, and you, somebody's got to fly in to get you out. So Anyway, he said, you know, just play a little safer, stick together in your group, and and we'll probably do that. Yeah, that's same same with us too. Normally, if you go elk hunting or something, always split up, better your odds. But for this, and hopefully, if it's you know as good of chance of success as I've heard, that we'll have opportunities, you know, more than one. Hopefully, you know, over the six days we're there or whatever. Right. Right. Yep. <laughs> that's the other thing when we hunt together then we're usually like drawing straws to see who's going to make the stock or not <laughs> you know? yeah that's one of the reasons we like to split up so that whatever you see you get to you get to stock on but but yeah as you said hopefully there'll be more opportunities that um we don't it's not like um if we're all hunting together and see one group that's the only only opportunity we'll get yeah well cool um yeah i don't know anything else right now to to think about here but all well, i mean there's a ton of things to think about with it but uh as far as this podcast i think we covered a lot of our preparation and stuff going into it so um do you have anything else that you wanted to add on the the caribou hunt no not really i mean just just for prep other than that i mean i hike i hike hills and mountains a lot I just hike with pack on to just get your hips and shoulders and everything used to carrying that pack and this i don't expect on this this trip we're going to be um carrying heavy loads, you know, until we get a caribou and then it will just be them. But most of the hunting with base camp down won't be too bad, but I think there'll be a lot of uneven ground hiking around. It sounds like, so a lot of, uh, 
you know, I'm going to try hiking with a pack a lot on, on uneven ground and kind of get my muscles all used to that. And that along with some doing a lot of long range shooting, just in case I need to, uh, you know, a caribou's out in the open a little bit further than, than normal. I want to be able to make those shots too. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the main prep I'm doing. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's definitely going to be something depending on where you're at, as far as stocking close might be difficult. Right. You know, yep. and, and we were saying about the walking on uneven ground, that's, yeah, again, something came to the realization of a little bit ago is even more is how important, you know, your core strength and stability is and doing things like that to kind of help you when you're, you know, maneuvering in those odd places and, and everything there. So, yeah, yeah for sure. I think a lot of guys just train on like a, uh, you know, a Stairmaster or something, just going uphill on flat steps, um, even with pack, but it just doesn't, it doesn't help you much for that uneven stuff or no or, or downhill or, or all those things. So yeah, I've been yeah. I've been just taking one way to kill two birds with one stone is while I'm doing my whitetail scouting, I'll just put weight in my pack and and do that because I'm kind of traversing through different stuff and up and down hills and and trying to just keep keep going with weight on myself and and yeah, just prepare as much as we can, I guess. Yeah, prepare a little more than your buddies in case you got to outrun that bear. You can outrun those two guys. That's the plan, or or figure out how to trip them quicker. It's one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um. Anyways, Bill, where where can people find you know some more information on Iron Will, uh, the new broadheads, and everything else that uh, we talked about here? Yeah, our website is um, IronWillOutfitters.com. Our Instagram is also Ironwell Outfitters, um, and, and Facebook is the same as well. So yeah, check that out. Um, we usually post when our new products are, are coming out on uh, on Instagram, kind of identify or notify everybody. And then yeah, a lot of details are on our website. You know what? I mentioned some of the force to push through with different broadhead designs, things like that. We just added all that data to our website um, as well. So yeah, check it out. A lot of good info there. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on, um, and this is what will be a, a two-part series here. So thanks for coming on and talking to me, taking two hours out of your day and uh, spending talking about hunting. Yeah, you bet. If I don't talk to you before the hunt, I'm sure we'll have to get together and, and share stories afterwards. Yes, yes, we definitely will. I'm, I'm pumped and also excited to get to use that new wide head this year and run it through a few whitetails hopefully in pennsylvania ohio maybe new york we'll see yeah that'd be great let me know how it works for you a lot of guys that tested are pretty excited about about the wide head so i think that's a that's gonna be a great whitetail head awesome all right bill well we'll uh we'll talk to you soon then thanks a lot bo take care Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.